God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything to the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, I make an assumption, and I hope I'm right, that pretty much everybody here has in the garage or under the bed or in a storage unit a box or two boxes or seven or eight boxes of things you really ought to go through, memorabilia from your life up to this point, Or if you are reaching the age where there aren't that many generations ahead of you, it's memorabilia from other people's lives that have significance to you. I went over to my parents' house this week, and my mother and I were looking for this one piece of paper, and we thought it was in one of the boxes. One of the boxes from my grandparents' things my grandparents, who were both gone by the time we got to 1990. So we still have some of their things in boxes. I swore I had gone through this one box before, but I found things that I also swore I'd never laid eyes on till sometime Wednesday when we were looking for that one piece of paper, which we found. And we found a bunch of other stuff that I'm going to save for future sermons, (laughs) assuming I get everyone's permission to talk about them. I found, this time, something I'm going to use in this sermon. It smells old. It's an old, stapled-together sermon that I glanced at briefly when I was looking for that one piece of paper, which we did find And I didn't realize until I looked at it again, oh, this was a sermon preached by my uncle Fred in Littleton United Methodist Church, Littleton, Colorado, on January 6, 1974. I figured, well, this must have been a really good one if he folded it up and sent it to Mama Venable. But I didn't look at it too much. I did take it home because I thought I would mail it to my cousin. And then before I put it in the envelope for her, decided to take a look at it. And as I flipped through, I thought, hey, this is perfect for what I'm going to do on Sunday. Oh, that's good. Oh, oh, that's good. Oh, I could say that too. And not until this morning, when I had had half a cup of coffee, did I look at it again and realize the text is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. No wonder it fits so well. Well, Uncle Fred at this point was the senior pastor of Littleton United Methodist Church in Littleton, Colorado. We all know where that is 
now because of Columbine. He went on from there to be the senior pastor at the Cathedral of the Rockies in Boise, Idaho, which at the time was about as big a church as you could wind up in. I don't know how they measure up these days, but in the 70s anyway, he was on an upward trajectory in his pastorate. I find this sermon interesting because it says all through the first page, I would like to make some confessions to you. So I did turn the pages waiting for something juicy that I should have remembered from my growing up days, but it's not that kind of confession. He confesses that he needs a revival in his soul. He says, have you ever heard of the prayer, Lord, send a revival and let it begin with me? That's the only revival that will ever come. Most of us are inclined to pray, Lord, send a revival and begin it with George or John or Bill. Begin it with the church, Lord, and then after it's going good and it's not too risky, then I'll sneak in. That, I think, was what I was doing last year in the church, he says. He says what he wants to talk about is very difficult because it causes him pain to do so. It's hard for him, apparently, to say, as confident as you think I am, I need to confess to you that I'm just a regular person like everybody else, and I need to receive love just like everybody else does. Now, I'll read you this next paragraph. Remember, it is 1974, and... Most ministers were male, and most of them were married. The other day, I ran across an article about what characteristics were needed in ministers. I think there were six mentioned. First, he needed to love God. Second, he needed to love people. I forget three through five, but six was that he needed to have an understanding wife. That last characteristic was the only one which even suggested that a minister was to be a type of person who could receive something. They were all about what he could give, give love to God, give love to people, but nothing was said about receiving love from God or other people. And he did have a very understanding wife who lives to this day. He talks about being in a study group with my Aunt Joan that met every other Wednesday. It was ministers and spouses, wives, who talked about how life was going, and they'd study a little Bible, and they'd share a little bit, and they'd pray a little bit, and then they'd go home. He said that through that group he started to really grow and to be able to share some of his flaws and foibles in addition to his great successes. He says in his letter, in this sermon, I ask you to consider an open and vulnerable style as the most effective way to share and communicate Christ. I think Christ speaks through what we are rather than what we like to think we are, rather than through the masks we like to put on to make us appear Christian. After all, it was through our confession and our brokenness and our need that we found Christ And I now believe it will be through our confession and our brokenness and our need that we will be able to share Christ. Let Christ dwell in your soul richly. Dress yourself in Christ, not in the trappings of this world. 
So what was Colossians all about? This is one of the epistles, and you know that word means letter, something that's sent out. It was an epistle that we don't think was written by Paul, but it speaks of Paul, and it invokes his name. We think it was written by probably a second or third generation member of the congregation that he helped start. But we also think that this was an interpretation of Paul's word for a later day and time. And that's what preachers do with Paul's words Sunday after Sunday. Interpret it again for a later day and time. Dr. Elizabeth Johnson writes that the congregation here has been influenced by the belief that a hierarchy of angels, powers, and spiritual rulers stands between them and God. They understand that Christ works only through this hierarchy. Whatever these different beliefs were, they were not true to what Paul preached or what Christ preached, that God is as close to you as your very breath, that we don't have to go through angels and other spirits to intercede with us, but rather and intercede for us, rather Christ can dwell inside of us. And when Christ dwells inside of us, the light of Christ emanates out from us. Andrew Lincoln also says, don't be intimidated by this idea that the peace of Christ is to dwell in you. If you think, I can't even have the peace of Christ, I didn't even get along with my husband this morning up until this point. Um, This doesn't mean that we don't have to have, or we have to be conflict free, or that we have to be nice to everybody all the time. Or that we have to get along with everybody all the time and that we can never disagree. Rather, it means we can have conflict, but we ought to proceed with that conflict in a humane way, in a kind way, knowing that Christ is the mediator of all things. We are to let it dwell in us richly. We are to embody the word of Christ in our witness to the world. We are to embody Christ and not try to embody Amy or Bob, or George, or John. We are to show Christ to the world, the people that we run into every day. Lincoln also goes on to say, this business about forgiving offenses is not only about forgiving those who have wronged you so that you can get over the hurt, it's also about how to live in the new community. It's about reconciliation with others that will display God's purpose of harmony. So not only have you made amends and the other person has made amends to you, but people in the community see what has happened and they see how you've handled the conflict and they see that you have forgiven that person who wronged you. So you're teaching all the time if you really do this right. I don't know how many of you tune into. Not Channel 8, but the CBS NewsHour, which I only watched once. No, I watched it the other day, and there was a piece by DeMarco Murray about a young man named Antonio Davis. Well, he's three years younger than me, so a very young man named Antonio Davis who grew up in Chicago, not one of the lovely suburbs, but a really, really rough area of town. Antonio Davis, when he was just a young teenager, got into a fight with a friend out in front of his house, and the friend pulled a gun and shot him. The interview and the transcript of the interview did not say where he was shot 
in his body. But he was shot, and his family all thought he would die. He did not die, but he did have a stroke due to the bullet and the blood loss, and he was never quite the same in that he was paralyzed from the chest down. In his case, he could not move anything from here down. He could still move his arms, as you saw during the piece when he was pushing himself in his wheelchair and clapping for people and picking things up. But he never was able to regain the fine motor skills that it would take to write your name or to type on a computer or even button buttons, tie your shoes. He said after the shooting and after his recovery in the hospital, he was told he would have to go to a nursing home and do his rehab there. He said, I never realized how much work there is in learning how to navigate a wheelchair. I never paid attention to people in wheelchairs before. I just thought, well, they sit and they wheel and that's how they get around. He didn't realize that it's a whole process of learning how to get yourself out of bed with your arms, how to transfer into the chair, how to make sure the chair has its brakes on, how to transfer into the bathroom, back into the chair, how to get your clothes on when you're seated in a wheelchair, etc., etc. So the learning curve was high, and he did that learning while he was in a nursing home. By far, he was the absolute youngest person in the nursing home, and he caught the eye of a young woman who was about his age who was there visiting her grandfather. She came around the corner, and before she could check herself or think about what she said, she said, oh my gosh, you're gorgeous. <laughs> and then she just kept on talking. She said, what are you doing in a nursing home? And he told her about what had happened. Well, you can't be in here. We've got to get you out of here. I'm going to find out what the treatment is that they're doing on you, and I'm going, to, I'm going to help you get independence. We're going to be friends, okay? Okay, he said. So, of course, they only had two or three minutes to tell this story, so they told us real fast. Boom, they fell in love and got married. I don't know if it happened that fast, but they did wind up getting married, and they've been married now for over 20 years. DeMarco Murray asked this young man, Have you forgiven the boy who shot you? And Antonio said, oh, yes. I forgave him long ago. And I forgave the spirit that was behind his actions. That's theologically pretty deep. I forgave the spirit that was behind his actions. He separated the young boy from what motivated him to do the wrong thing. What a wonderful reminder that People do bad things. They're not necessarily bad people. I forgave the spirit that was behind it. And he said, I just get up and do what I do. I win the day, win the week, win the year. And one way he's been winning is by painting. Like I said, he can't use his hands for small dexterity actions But an occupational therapist, probably while he was in that nursing home, said, Have you ever tried painting? No, no, never tried it. Let's try it. Put this brush right here. So he paints with his teeth. And his paintings now sell for $5,000, $50,000, President Obama heard about him and Antonio painted a portrait of President Obama that he got to take to the White House and present to the then president. 
and Obama said, it's wonderful, and thank you for not painting me with so much gray hair. The interviewer asked him how he feels about his life now, and he said, I look at that shooting this way. If I'd never been shot, I never would have learned to paint, and I love it. It's an obsession, and I sure would never have met Juanita. <laughs> to be able to take that incident in one's life and forgive and to look at the positives that came from it is indeed Christ-like. And I don't know that any of us could do that on our own, but Antonio demonstrates how you can do it with Christ inside of you. I quote often from different books by Jan Richardson. I've also been quoting from Beth Richardson, too. They are not related, but they have the same last name. Beth Richardson is an Okie, and her dad was a minister in this conference, and he used to run Methodist Manor. So I quoted her on the eve of the eve of Christmas Eve when we were going around to different retirement homes. But today I have a book by Jan Richardson, who's from Florida, in front of me. Jan went through a huge loss in her life shortly before Advent one year. And as an ordained minister, she took all of her artistic talent and her ability to write and preach and turned her ministry into an art ministry. And we are all the benefactors of that. We're all the recipients of that. That's not what I meant to say. We're all the recipients of that wonderful um, generosity that she does in sharing her talent with us. She writes about a Peruvian bag that a friend brought her. At Christmas time, Brenda gave me a bag she had brought back, woven of brilliantly dyed thread into a bold Peruvian pattern. The bag is small enough to carry around my neck under a sweater for safety when I travel or to put in a knapsack. At home, I leave it on my dresser mirror, hanging by its long strap of braided yarn. As I cross the threshold into a new season and a new year, the bag prompts questions. What do I need for the journey ahead? What would I put in the bag to take with me? What objects, words, blessings, hopes, or charms would I keep within its colors against my chest as I meet the coming days? How will my actions in the year ahead stretch my own thresholds, my own boundaries, and bring me closer to others, to ones such as those who fashioned this very bag? Or do I need to leave it empty to wait and see what will fill it this year? Finally, the bag is so full of questions that no space remains for anything else. Some say it will grow lighter with the journey, but though the contents may shift in handling, I think this bag will never be empty. And then she prays. I cannot release the questions. With every step, they multiply. And yet, they carry a wisdom of their own. God of mystery, help me to hold the questions. Lead me to live them. Bless me to bless them for disturbing my path. As God's chosen ones... Holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.